Under the national-led government's foreign policy, ties with the United States have become ever stronger. As well, diplomacy is much more commercially focused as the government attempts to give more of a helping hand to businesses in growing markets. Critics fear getting too close to the U.S. will undermine New Zealand's independence, and that commercially driven diplomacy will harm the country's wider foreign policy interests. Insight examines the debate. It's a reflection of the view held by members of the current government that uh, we hadn't worked hard enough at building trust in uh, the U.S. relationship, in particular. We put a high value on the traditional partnerships that New Zealand has with countries like Australia, UK, Canada, uh, and the US.、Uh, the fact is that、um, we've had a very difficult 30 odd years in the US relationship. There have been bipartisan attempts to see that situation improve in recent times, but we felt that、um, uh, as a government that came into office late in 2008, that we were、um, likely to be dealing with times in which the US would be. Trying to rebalance its own priorities, and that this had some implications for New Zealand if we were smart enough to move into the right space. The Foreign Affairs Minister Murray McCully explains why the government has worked so hard to develop closer relations with the US, including restoring as much as possible former defence ties. But not everyone believes the move is necessarily in New Zealand's best interests. I'm Brent Edwards, and this insight looks at whether the government's approach will advance New Zealand's interests or not. From the New Zealand Air Force and the U.S. Marines, play on the forecourt of Parliament at a ceremony marking the 70th anniversary of American troops arriving here during the Second World War. Such occasions represent a further thawing in the relationship since the ANZUS Treaty Alliance was suspended in the 1980s after New Zealand declared itself nuclear-free. This year, troops from both countries, as well as their navies, are engaging in joint military exercises. In June, the Defence Minister Jonathan Coleman also signed the Washington Declaration with the U.S. Defence Secretary Leon Panetta. The Director of Victoria University's Centre for Strategic Studies, Robert Ayson, thinks it's a significant move. In the Washington Declaration, it does talk about the independence and sovereignty of the two parties, and so in that technical sense, that's absolutely still there. New Zealand does have the freedom. To, to, to sign agreements and go and do what it wishes to do, but in terms of independence, meaning a degree of autonomy from great, the great power tussle, a sense that we、um, we have a lot of wiggle room in the region, then I think some of that has actually been reduced.、Um, that's one of the trade-offs that you get with with such a strong statement of alignment with the United States, which I think is what the Washington Declaration represents. Former diplomat Terence O'Brien. Is also worried. This government and its predecessors had moved New Zealand into a very good space 12 months ago, where we were a friend but not an ally of the United States, and a friend but not an ally of China. And from this, from this sort of central position, I felt that we could navigate that water. But in the last 12 months, we have moved definitely closer to being a sort of Clayton's ally of the United States. It's a, a, an alliance you have when you're not having an alliance, sort of thing. And 
much closer to NATO, um, which I just cannot for the life of me see the case for signing agreements with NATO. The Labour Party's Foreign Affairs spokesperson Phil Goff, a former Foreign Affairs Minister, isn't so worried by the Washington Declaration, but he is critical of the government's stance on foreign policy matters. I don't think there's anything specifically wrong with the, the Washington Declaration or the Wellington Declaration. Uh, we've always wanted to have uh, close and warm relationships with the United States. There's nothing wrong with that. What I think people are asking the question about today is whether this government would ever have the guts to say no to a request made by the United States or indeed by, by any other big power. The New Zealand First Leader Winston Peters, also a former Foreign Affairs Minister, agrees New Zealand's independence is at risk. There is a perceptible change in the sense that they are, uh, I think, visibly less independent than they, they, we have been in the last, say, uh, 20 years. There's more of a subservience in the sound of some of their messages. But, but, I mean, they would argue, I presume, that that is about developing a close relationship to the United States, which, when you were Foreign Minister, you, you did a lot of work on yourself. Well, yes, but we made a serious uh, change when we were uh, talking to people like Condoleezza Rice and Senator McCain and a whole lot of other people at the time about the need to change, and we, things did change dramatically. But we didn't, you know, uh, head hell-bent down the path of the Trans-Pacific uh, Partnership and other things that might well compromise our sovereignty, both as a country and as an economy. The Green Party's Global Affairs spokesperson, Kennedy Graham, is scathing about the government's foreign policy. It's done with, with PR and it's incremental. It's uh, mission creep, um, creeping towards uh, a more compliant relationship with the United States and, for that matter, NATO as the leading agent of international peace and security. But the Foreign Affairs Minister, Murray McCulley, scoffs at accusations the government has become subservient to the United States. I've made it clear, though, that we do so in the context of an independent foreign policy. And uh, that's been absolutely clear from the beginning, uh, again reflected in the documents that we published before the 2008 election. So um, there's been no suggestion of a return to ANZUS. There's been no suggestion to uh, any form of alliance. Uh, there's uh, been a, a absolute clarity about the fact that we run an independent foreign policy and that um, we're not uh, about to enter into obligations uh, uh, in the nature of an alliance. But in the sort of areas that are specified in the Washington Declaration signed by Dr. Common, we're looking at areas like um, anti-piracy measures, like counter-terrorism, looking at uh, maritime disaster relief management, that sort of thing, and of course peacekeeping and peacebuilding. These are hardly um, concepts that New Zealanders should feel nervous about. Nor does he believe anyone should be nervous about the government taking a much more commercial approach to its diplomacy. New Zealand, um, as a small trading nation, has always had to give some priority to trade and economic outcomes in terms of foreign policy. Uh, I think the fact that uh, this government's come into office in reasonably hard times, uh, at a time indeed when traditional European markets have uh, been foundering and uh, where there's been significant growth in the Asia-Pacific region, has put the pressure on us to, uh, uh, to, to deal with some realities that previous governments have ignored. Murray McCulley says there's nothing surprising about National's shift in focus. We made it quite clear in our policy documents prior to the 2008 election, we've made it clear in a number of uh, documents since then that the current government sees trade and economic outcomes as uh, of paramount importance in terms of our 
the work of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade, and that's simply a reflection of the fact that uh, if we want to do better as a country, if we want to get wealthier, we're going to have to be better at selling goods and services. What difference does that make then for the way that foreign policy works? Well, it has some implications in terms of the resource allocation within the ministry. So, for example, it might dictate that we give priority to a rapidly growing market like China when it comes to the opening of new posts. Business representatives welcome the shift in emphasis. Charles Finney, a former diplomat and now a consultant with Saunders Unsworth, which specialises in government relations and lobbying, says the change makes sense. There is much more of an overt push for our foreign policy to be uh, there to deliver the environment in which we can actually advance our trade economic interests. So the key driver is the trade economic interests and foreign policy is seen as a very key enabler. I'm not sure that the previous government was quite in that space. The Executive Director of Export New Zealand, Catherine Beard, says it's clear more needs to be done to lift the country's export performance. We consider that we're a good exporting nation and actually when you uh, look at the percentage of GDP our exports make up, it's a lot less than many other countries. So we're not actually as, as great at that as we think we are and we need to improve. And I think um, having a business-focused trade policy is a really important part of the strategy to help us lift our game. And Catherine Beard says businesses do need more of a helping hand from government in overseas markets. There's lots of uh, issues. Sometimes regulatory change in a country can completely shut down an opportunity. Uh, and we've seen that recently in Indonesia with uh, shutting down access uh, to horticultural fresh products going into the main port of Jakarta. So unless we have really well-focused people in our overseas posts that are going to help sit down and sort through all those you know, regulatory kind of non-tariff barriers, we're not really going to make much progress. But Robert Ason from the Centre of Strategic Studies says having an almost solely commercial approach could backfire. You sometimes hear a little bit um, from, from people overseas that they wonder whether there is more to New Zealand's foreign policy than a search for commercial advantage. And I think that is a risk that New Zealand does come across as a country that is wanting to um, have the fruits of economic relationships, but that that's where its foreign policy tends to begin and, and maybe end in some ways. The Executive Director of Aid and Advocacy Organisation Oxfam New Zealand, Barry Coates, also worries about the government's new focus. And Mr Coates is particularly critical of its impact on aid programmes. In the Pacific, um, the New Zealand aid programme, which is, which is one of the major ways that we interact with the Pacific, uh, has undergone a change where, where we used to support uh, a lot of work on education and health where uh, healthcare and and basic community development uh, building sort of societies from the grassroots you know helping helping out i think now we've gone much more to to a private sector led notion of development in societies of the pacific where where it's very hard for people to be able to produce things because 
they don't have the education, they don't have the skills, they don't have the decent health care, they don't have the clean water supply, etc. Then what you don't get is you don't get the broad-based participation of people who really need the aid. Labor's Phil Goff says even in the area of aid, the government is now less worried about helping with development and rather more worried about how it can advance New Zealand's interests. And Mr Goff says spending on aid is falling. By 2016, we'll be spending half the amount as a percentage of gross national income on development assistance that Australia is. Uh, and we've tended to think, well, New Zealand does these things better in the world than Australia. No, Australia's put its money where its mouth is. New Zealand hasn't. Even the Conservative administration uh, in the United Kingdom under David Cameron has said we're not going to cut back aid. Critics argue focusing too heavily on trade and business outcomes can put at risk New Zealand's wider political interests. The government is, for example, campaigning to win one of the rotating seats on the United Nations Security Council in 2015-16. Its foreign policy focus on commerce might make it more difficult to win the support needed to get on the council. But Charles Finney doesn't believe the approach means New Zealand's political and cultural ties with other countries are ignored. I think it's actually um, an artificial division between trade, economic and uh, wider political processes. We wouldn't have the free trade agreement with China if we didn't have excellent political relations, which have been worked on very hard for many years by many governments. So we wouldn't have had New Zealand being in this TPP uh, process with the United States without us unblocking the political uh, relationship. I, I see the two as being um, very much intertwined. And Catherine Beard says businesses themselves know that their relationships in overseas markets need to go deeper than simply commercial ones. Business understand increasingly that they need long-term relationships in Asia to be successful, you know, that you don't just go in with a transactional approach. It is very much about relationships. Um, and I think that those cultural relationships uh, deepen as businesses understand the language and the culture that they're dealing with. And, uh, you know, if they're in there for the long-term future, you know, which, which I think that absolutely strengthens cultural connections. The Minister, Murray McCulley, also understands that relationships with other countries cannot be solely based on commerce. I absolutely agree that um, uh, to succeed in China you need to have that broader view of the relationship. It can't simply be a trade and economic relationship. And that's one of the reasons why to mark the 40th anniversary of the diplomatic relationship with China, the government's established the China Council, chaired by Sir Don McKinnon, and while uh, it's why we've set up this arrangement uh, of having a partnership forum in Beijing later this year, we will have significant uh, leaders from the arts, from uh, culture, sport, um, uh, science and academia, all part of a process of building the relationship. And we want to do that on a regular basis. I think if you look at this um, in the context of the last few years, we, we had a... Uh, a reasonably straightforward year in 2010 because of the expo in Shanghai and it meant we were able to have over a dozen uh, ministerial visits with uh, big delegations and a significant number of cultural and um, other uh, events. From here on we have to create those sorts of opportunities and so we've tried to recognise that through the China Council and the uh, China Partnership Forum that we'll engage in so that the Chinese can see that we indeed are developing a multifaceted relationship to match the growth and uh, the trade and economic relationship. The 
The change in focus to what might be described as commercial diplomacy appears to have driven the contentious restructuring at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade. While the original number of job losses has been reduced, diplomats will still be dumped in the biggest shake-up the Ministry has ever experienced. How will his proposal to close Madrid, Stockholm, Rome, Warsaw and The Hague nearly... The restructuring has prompted heated argument in Parliament, but it is going ahead, albeit in a more modest form than the original proposal. Again, views on the restructuring are split. Robert Ayson is one of those who doesn't believe the restructuring is in New Zealand's best interests. You can still shift resources around according to the, the particular focus that you have as a foreign policy, whereas this was a whole approach and an attempt to change the way we did foreign policy to start with, the way we thought about the role of diplomats, the way we thought, we thought about diplomatic careers. Labor's Phil Goff is scathing about the government's plan, which has been driven by the Ministry's chief executive, John Allen. It's an absolute reflection of incompetence uh, to save a miserable $12 million. They almost destroyed uh, one of New Zealand's best-performing ministries. Uh, face it, what, what does New Zealand have going for it in the world? We don't have money to bribe our way. Uh, we don't have force to, uh, uh, to, to uh, impose ourselves on others. But we do have the skills and the negotiating abilities of very good people in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade. What Murray McCulley did in that area was to undermine New Zealand's competency uh, to achieve things in the world through having the best people working in the best way to stand up for New Zealand's interests and to defend New Zealand's interests. They looked for a commercial model. That was absolutely hopeless in this context. And then, of course, what Murray McCulley did was blame it on John Allen when the idea, of course, came out of the National Cabinet and from Mr McCulley himself. Winston Peters, who was responsible for a large increase in funding for the ministry when he was minister, says the changes at the ministry are short-sighted. Mr Peters is also critical of plans to close embassies in Europe as part of the shake-up. Take pulling out of Scandinavia. Why on earth will you pull out of a uh, four economy setting, which are the most successful economies in the world, collectively that is, we've got a lot to teach us on the environment and how to get a sustainable future, and you pull out because not prepared to spend just a little over a million dollars. That's extraordinarily foolish. But Mr McCulley rejects criticism, and he has support from business representatives who feel a shake-up at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade is long overdue. Catherine Beard says the Ministry can't be immune from change. We think, like uh, any business, has to concentrate on their structure and whether they're fit for purpose, uh, You know, and are they sort of geared up to do the things that they need to be doing uh, for the job, no department, government department, should be immune from having those um, hard looks at how they operate. And I think we sort of think that the objectives of um, building some deeper knowledge within the ministry of particular regions and areas is uh, is quite a good one. I think in the past the rotational uh, policies meant that you've ended up with a lot of diplomats with very broad skill sets, you know, across a, a whole range of countries and things. But, you know, there's some benefits too in letting people specialise more. Charles Finney worked at the Ministry from 1988 to 2005. My concern has been that MFAT was quite old-fashioned in the way it did things, it was particularly old-fashioned in the way it utilised technology and it's really only been in the last year, year and a half that MFAT staff have been able to access news on the internet, for example, from their desktop. 
if you look at government departments that really should be plugged into what's going on in the world, MPAT should have been at the top of the list, not at the bottom of the list. The place was a bit too hierarchical, and I'm pleased a number of these problems are being addressed. But Terence O'Brien, a longer-serving former diplomat, doesn't share Mr Finney's view. The diminishing particularly of the policy advice component in Wellington, which is being reduced, as you know, by number, as well as the reduction in or dilution of the professionalism of career diplomacy. I think all of those things, which we're right in the eye of the storm now about, are serving to distract attention away from the broader requirements of conducting New Zealand's interests right now. Mr McCulley dismisses those criticisms just as he dismisses concerns expressed about New Zealand's engagement with the United States. Not only is this country's now closer defence ties with the US seen as potentially problematic, but so too is the way talks on a new trade agreement, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, are developing. Robert Ayson says those worries are evident in China. There are voices in China that are sceptical about it and feel it might be part of a containment. And that's one of the reasons, I think, why while New Zealand ministers have said that we would not sign a TPP, which one day would not possibly include China if China wished to do so and, and also met the entry criteria. Terence O'Brien says there are dangers in the American approach to the Trans-Pacific trade negotiations. This is an attempt to play America back into a sort of dynamo role on economic uh, cooperation in Asia-Pacific uh, and wrest the initiative away from China, who is the dynamo for the entire East Asian area. But the US's idea is to try and wrest the initiative away, as I see it, and setting the bar rather high by including elements in this agreement, which New Zealand appears, from what we know, to be reasonably comfortable with, but setting the barrier in a way in which China could not sign up, possibly to it. The government, though, says it has no interest in signing an agreement aimed at squeezing China out. But those are not the only concerns about the Trans-Pacific trade talks. The detail of the negotiations are being conducted in secret, and critics fear the government is prepared to give away too much to keep on side with the United States. As Trade Minister in the previous Labour-led government, Phil Goff put a lot of effort into convincing the Americans to become part of the Trans-Pacific Partnership negotiations. But he, too, has worries. It's absolutely vital that New Zealand asserts its sovereign right to make decisions through legislation or regulations relating to social, economic or environmental issues of uh, importance in the public area in New Zealand. So there are always bottom lines when you go into negotiations. You're not going to give away your right to regulate in the public good. There's no way that a tobacco company in New Zealand should be able to say what government policy on health promotion should be. And I take Tim Grocer at his word that that is also the government's position and uh, I sincerely hope that they are fighting that all the way. The conundrum for the government is how it balances closer military and economic ties with the US with maintaining good relations with China while pushing a much more commercially focused approach to diplomacy. Robert Ayson wonders whether it's got that balance right. 
a couple of years ago, the Prime Minister said that he was comfortable to be in a region where you had two superpowers, and of course he meant China and the US by that. By that. Well, I would like to see more of that sort of thinking developed. What sort of region of two superpowers would New Zealand like to be in? How do we see that relationship going? Where do we fit in there? How do we moderate our relations with those countries? How do we think about how Australia is doing it? What about the Southeast Asian countries? Where does a relationship with Japan fit into that? And we can do it by default, for example, by saying, well, we're going to maybe reduce our diplomatic representation in perhaps in, in Europe. But I'm looking for, for more of a sense of an argument that ties these things together. I don't know that we're getting that at the moment. Terence O'Brien says New Zealand has to be careful about not being seen to back US action China might see as provocative. And Mr O'Brien says there are real tensions between the government's foreign policy objectives. What you're actually seeing now is quite an interesting disparity, I think, emerging between our defence and security policy, which is very much anchored around the United States and the other three or four English-speaking nations of the world, the so-called Anglosphere, and economic and prosperity interests, which are increasingly dependent upon Asia, China in particular, but also other key Asian players like uh, Korea, Vietnam, and so on. So you're seeing a disparity here, because our defence policy, uh, as it's presently set out, stops very carefully short of saying that we need to uh, deepen our operational defence relationships in Asia. And I think that that is an omission and uh, does lead to this, what I call, disparity. But Murray McCulley rejects suggestions New Zealand will be caught in a power play between China and the US or that its commercial approach will sour relationships with other countries, particularly China. People, of course, always want to put that in the context of perceived contest for influence within the Pacific as between the US and China. We don't see it in that context. We think that the US relationship is one that needed to be got back on track. China is a significant presence in the Pacific um, and no country is working harder to uh, develop partnerships with, with China in the region than we are. So you don't think it would undermine that, that commercial interest in terms of the relationship with China? I think very clear about this, that uh, what China's doing in the Pacific is what China's doing everywhere. It's seeking to secure resources for the future. It's also uh, looking for relationships that will uh, enable it to ensure that its interests uh, are understood. Oxfam's Barry Coates warns, though, New Zealand's international reputation might be damaged by this government's shift in foreign policy. Oxfam operates uh, in the developing world and you know, we, we see the regard uh, that New Zealand has uh, in countries around the world, in sub-Saharan Africa and Latin America in, and of course in the, in the Pacific, around New Zealand's kind of independence and neutrality in, in particular. So, so what we'd like to, to see is for us to be maintaining that reputation and building on that reputation. But the national-led government believes it can have it all ways. It doesn't believe strengthening ties with traditional allies will undermine the independent foreign policy the country has become known for since the split with the US over its anti-nuclear policy. Nor does it believe a hard-headed commercial approach to foreign policy will harm the country's broader political interests. But it will take all the diplomatic skills of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, currently in turmoil, to advance New Zealand's interests. I'm Brent Edwards, and that's Insight for this week. If you would like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or tweet us at rnz underscore insight.
I wrote and presented that program. It was produced by Philip Hattolli with technical production by William Saunders.